right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Happy Friday to you as we head into the weekend. We're going to be joined by John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant coming up at 340. We're going to have Brandon McAnderson. At the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we've got another edition of the Sports Stock Market and Fastlane coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. But today officially marks four weeks away from the start of the KU football season. We've been doing this every Friday with the first Friday uh, night game for KU to open up the season and going through some of the numbers that still think Friday night is weird, by the way. It is weird. It is weird. I'm... I'm getting a little more on board with it because it, it like if they're just going to make this a tradition where it's like every year we're going to open on Friday, I can maybe get on more board. But like it kind of stinks because like there's high school football, right. which, you know, we do here as a station. And like I want to go out and enjoy the high school football game on Friday and then enjoy some KU football on Saturday. You know what I mean? Like, that, uh, that and I'm sure some of the, you know, the high school players would love to, you know, grab a yeah. ticket and go to Memorial yeah. Stadium, watch the game. Well, and LHS that first week is playing on Thursday night, so that's great. But, like, Free State's playing Friday night. So, doesn't totally work out there. Uh, Of course, you'll be able to hear all that action on, whether it's here, KLWN, our sister station, 92.9 The Bull with High School, and all the KU action here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 Kiss. Uh, But four weeks away from the season opener, four is the number of 100... uh, 100 <laughs> centuries, I don't know, of yards that Jason Bean ran for. He ran for exactly 400 yards. It's a little bit of a stretch on this one. But one common theme. You could have probably just said hundreds and people would have yeah, understood. <laughs> yeah, probably. I made it more complicated than it was. Um, You know, what's exactly his role going to be in the offense? That's going to be a common theme I think we're going to hear about and find out more about over the course of this camp. Lance Leipold basically went out and said, we expect Jalen Daniels to be the week one starter. Did leave a little bit of an opening there that he didn't want to totally discount Jason Bean. And if Bean has just a remarkable camp and Daniels struggles in some ways, then, yeah, I don't think it would be like, I don't know, it wouldn't be one of the craziest things we would see. I still very much expect Jalen Daniels to be the starter. But if that ends up happening, you're talking about Jason Bean is arguably the fastest player on KU. If it's not him, he's certainly in the discussion. And it's hard to say, hey, like you are the you are the fastest guy on a team where speed very much matters. And, you know, you compare KU to Texas or Oklahoma or some of these other big teams, you don't have as much team speed all around the field as some of those other Big 12 teams. So, like, it's very easy to simplify it and say, Okay, you're the fastest kid on the team. We're going to get you on the field. We're going to find ways for you to get the ball in your hands. But I don't know what that looks like. Like, does that look like a couple times a game where he's running wildcat? Or do you really want to take the ball out of Jalen Daniels' hands if he is the quarterback that you think he is? Do you want to line him up at running back? Like, we saw that for a play or two where he, like, 
I forget if he took the ball or it was just fake to him on like a read option. Um, but guess what? You have a really deep running back room. And even if Jason Bean's faster than those running backs, is he really a better runner of the ball when you take into account everything that goes into it, vision, you know, breaking tackles, strength, whatever, than those great group of running backs? I don't know. Probably not. At receiver, okay, he's got a lot of speed. Do we know anything about Jason Bean being able to be like, have good hands or run good routes? No, we have no idea. But at the same point in time, because he possesses that speed, if he is not the starting quarterback, like you still want him to be healthy. You still need a good backup quarterback because injuries happen. But like, I don't know. Like, it's hard not to get that guy on the field. And I know for weeks on end, I kind of really toyed with the Kerry Meyer role mm-hmm. of possibly moving into a full time receiver. But, you know, the furthest that we get from, uh, like, the, okay, I will say the close, the rather, the closest that we get to the season starting, you know, the more people I hear from about what possibly his role, uh, what his role could be, I think the less likely I think that that's going to happen. Just because, yeah, we haven't heard a single thing about how he controls the ball, if he's able to catch the ball at a consistent level or something like that. I would love for him to be... Sort of a wildcat quarterback, but at the same time, Jalen Daniels possesses that speed, has some great ball carrying on his own. Uh, maybe a few trick plays here and there, um, possibly like a goal-to-go situation or like a short field situation. Um, there are a lot of uh, potential ways to get him involved that can pop into my head right now. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, just even if you are the fastest guy on the team, as, as much as it would be great to get you in favorable positions and in spots to help the team, it's not a guarantee that you'll impact the game. Like Jamal Horn, who you know transferred out, headed into this year, he was a kick returner, so you got him involved there. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Jason Bean right. will be a kick returner. But um, you know he, he wasn't really playing on offense, even though he was one of the fastest guys on the team. So it's not a guarantee in any way. But again, if you have a guy who is a very good threat in the open field and is very fast, you'd like to get him involved some way or another. If that's in the cards, I don't know. Right now, if you had to ask me, you know, I, I'd probably just assume that he's just going to be the backup quarterback. And, yeah, they'll have maybe a couple plays a game where he comes in in a certain package. They run a wildcat. They run a read option. Maybe they throw a downfield pass or something like that. But for the most part, I just kind of view him more taking up those backup quarterback duties unless it gets to a point. Like, I don't believe that the Kerry Meyer situation was one where – the KU coaches, I, I I could be wrong on this, where the KU coaches approached him and said, hey, you lost the quarterback battle. What do you think about playing receiver? It, it might have been like that. I always thought the story went that Kerry Meyer approached the coaches and I think was like, I think that's possible. Yeah, if I'm not going to be the quarterback, like I want to help the team in some way, like line me up at receiver or, or something like that to where, um, you know, I, I think that that conversation would probably have to come from Jason Bean's side of the camp. And and maybe that's not something he wants to do. Maybe it is. I don't know. But he's going to give it his all to try to even win the quarterback competition at the very beginning. And I'm sure from his standpoint, too, like he's sitting there last year going, you know, I was the starting quarterback throughout the entire season. The only reason that Jalen took over is because I got injured and then he took off with it and ran. So who's to say that something similar doesn't happen? You know, right. who's to say that Jalen doesn't get hurt at some point, and I come back in, and, and I prove that I'm the guy at quarterback, and I kind of take it from there. It just sucks because Jason is just so freaking talented. He is. And he's he's so fast. Like you said, he's probably the fastest guy on the team. I don't think there's too much argument with that. It just sucks because there's already that go-to guy at the quarterback spot, as far as we know, with Jalen Daniels because of how well, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, with how well that he did over the past three weeks, and he's going to carry that over, in my opinion. He's going to carry that over into this year. 
And with that running back room, it's so deep and it's so talented. It's going to be hard to find a spot for Jason Bean. That's just the thing that sucks because you also have to kind of figure out how can we make him happy and make him a pivotal uh, factor on this team. He's a redshirt senior. Does he Does he have one or two years left? Uh, I think he has two years okay. left. It just gets weird because, you know, the COVID year and transfers and stuff like that. I believe he has two. So maybe if he has two that you can keep that in the back of his mm -hmm. mind or something like that. But I, I think you definitely have to find a way to get him involved on offense. You yeah. have to just because of the talent level and the skill level that he has. For sure. All right. Uh, next number four is the number of forced fumbles that Kyron Johnson had last season. So it's not just the eight and a half tackles for loss. It's not just the six and a half sacks that you have to replace at that position. It's those big forced fumbles. I mean, those are huge plays throughout a game. Obviously, KU, I, I don't believe, recovered all of those. But uh, you look at the guy coming in, Lonnie Phelps, who had even better production from a sack level, but it was against lower competition than what Kyron Johnson had. But he had zero forced fumbles the last two seasons. Now, he did have um, two forced fumbles his freshman season. Uh, I don't think this is much to do with, like, you know, I, like Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, I remember when they were with the Colts. Like that was always a big thing that they kind of emphasized that. And yep. uh, there have been certain guys who have emphasized that. I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, but those are big plays that you could get throughout a game. So I, I guess this part of the conversation comes into a couple things. Uh, one, it's you know, can you have good turnover luck this season? Can you create enough havoc to give yourself that good turnover luck? And I think this furthers the conversation of how valuable Kyron Johnson was last season and that you do have a lot to replace there. Yeah, you do. And uh, he was a terrific edge rusher uh, last season. And, uh, yeah, you're right. I do think they did recover a couple of those. I think one of those is against Texas. Um, one of those four sounds numbers. right. Yeah. Um, I do remember the very first one uh, that he had, which was against uh, South Dakota, completely just blew by the right yeah. guard, the right tackle. The right tackle didn't even touch him, and he was able to get the quarterback immediately. Now, the running back picked it up, but he went to the quarterback immediately. But it raises the question, who's going to be that guy to fill in his shoes? And those are huge shoes to fill, like you just mentioned. I don't know who that guy's going to be, which, I think know, it's Lonnie Phelps. But I think I mean, so, too. But I, I think You're counting a lot on a guy making a big step up in competition. Right, and you have a couple of those guys who can really do well on the defensive level to force those uh, fumbles, like Gavin Potter and Rich Miller, quite possibly. Taiwan Berryhill, who had, he had a decent season last year. I think um, I think they could help out the best way that they can. But, gosh, it, it's, it's hard to think of a guy who can just immediately remind you of Kyron Johnson. Dude was a stud last year. Yeah, they're not going to have that type of athleticism, but maybe you can get similar production from Phelps, and that's part of the thing. Like, you gave up 42 points per game last season, even with Kyron Johnson, an NFL draft pick, who put up good numbers on your defensive line. So if you're losing your best player from a defense that was already bad, that makes it you know even more difficult to try right. to step up in, in so many different ways. I, I do think that Lonnie Phelps will make an impact. Can he make that big of an impact? We will wait and see. The next number four. Four would be the most receiving touchdowns by an individual KU player since Stephon Robinson and Andrew Parchment both did it in 2019. Robinson had eight of them. Parchment had seven, so they blew right past it. But there hasn't been a KU receiver over the last two seasons that even had four receiving touchdowns. Which that's, kinda, doesn't, that's kind of nuts to think about. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> seem like a very high number. In fact, it's not a very high number. And here's the thing. For Jalen Daniels to have the type of season where 
you feel really good about it where you feel like he was a top half quarterback in the Big 12. Like just from a statistic output level, that probably looks something like it's a bare minimum 20 touchdowns, maybe 20, 25 touchdowns. Carter Stanley had like 24, 25, something like that. Um, for that to happen, if you're going to have that many touchdown passes, somebody just organically is going to wind up with four, probably more. And realistically, multiple players will wind up with four or something like that. Part of this, though, is not just about the receivers. Um like part of that stat is on the quarterbacks. Part of it's on the offensive line because if you like twenty twenty, you couldn't pass block anyone. So how are you right. going to throw a bunch of touchdown passes? And there's another part of it that is on the receiver. So it is kind of a, a grouped up thing there. But if you had to pick your candidate for the top receiver to haul in four or more passing touchdowns or, or reception touchdowns, I guess from that end of things, or to lead the team in touchdown receptions, who would you go with? I think it's Lawrence Arnold. Given that he was, I wouldn't say he was quite wide receiver one last year, but he was pretty dang close. If he wasn't, um, he's got that talent. He's able to he's able to haul uh, haul in a bunch of tough catches. Saw a couple of them in the corners of the end zone last year. Um, I, I think it's going to be him. I would say Trevor Wilson's a close second. Yeah, Wilson's that that home run threat that he could just you know he could get a sixty yard touchdown on any play. By the way, I love the I don't know if this is like a rebrand, but I could have sworn like when when Lawrence Arnold came into KU in his freshman year and out of high school, it was always LJ Arnold, and now it's, I always said Lawrence. Just really that's how well, I said on the roster, it's Lawrence. Uh, mm-hmm. I heard one of the coaches the other day at a media availability call him Lawrence. I great rebrand by him. if that was actually a thing i don't know maybe i just was always calling him lj for some reason and and whatever um but you live in the town of lawrence you know with right. nil as a thing i don't know you can't get <laughs> sponsored by a whole city i guess but you know that'd be funny it's like lawrence arnold sponsored by lawrence utility billing something like brought that brought to you by the <laughs> lawrence chamber of commerce or right. something like that i don't know <laughs> that'd be good he's just like he always has the big scissors and he's the <laughs> one cutting the ribbons and everything there's a good idea um so anyway I like the Arnold one a lot. He's obviously that big receiver. He's that, you know, big threat that um, is perfect for the red zone, right? He just is. I've kind of said along this whole process, Luke Grimm to me is the guy that I expect to lead the team in, like, receptions and maybe even receiving yards. But he's more of a slot receiver. Yeah. You, you don't see those guys as much leading the way in touchdowns. So from touchdown perspective, yeah, I, uh, Wilson would be good. Um Somebody asked Jason, I, I think it was John Kirby who we're having on later, asked Jason Bean who the fastest guys on the team were, and one of the names he mentioned among like the short list of three was Quentin Skinner, one of the young freshmen from last year. Maybe he's someone who can be that deep ball threat. Tanaka Scott is kind of a good straight-line runner, got a big body. He could be an example. I, there's been a lot of good things that have been said about Doug Emelian, the transfer over from Minnesota. So maybe you kind of have like a, a guy who can lead you in, in all the receiving categories there. Maybe there is a, a lot of budding talent from Doug Emelian. But yeah, I agree. I would go with uh, LJ Arnold if I had to pick one right now. Or Lawrence Arnold. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> okay, last uh, number four to get to. And this is the most important number four is four would be the most wins for KU in a single season since Mark Mangino back in 2010 when they went 5-7. and seven. Since then, it's been a rash of 0-1-2 and 3-win seasons. How possible is a 4-win season? I, I have kind of made it clear that, you know, right now I'd be picking KU to go 3-9, and nine, which would still be over the 2.5. I think 4 is a possibility, but it's going to be tough to get there because that means you have to beat I mean, you have to beat at least, uh, assuming you beat Tennessee Tech, you have to beat at least three Power 5 opponents. Right. 
Right. Um, if you it, count Houston, which I do. <laughs> At this do, point, they're Big 12 next year. Right? I do, too. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough ask. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. And I know there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of praise for what's been going on in this offseason for Kansas football and, you know, how the end of last season really translated. I mean, and I know we talk a lot about the last three weeks. And, yeah, KU was great the last three weeks. They were one and two the last three weeks. Right, right. That's the other thing. So it's basically how can they be a complete team and not to sound like a complete idiot to – yeah, and as a guy who just knows, like, just knows the basics about sports, but basically, how can they be complete and score more points than the other guy? Yeah, well, I mean, I think a big half is on Jalen Daniels, right? I mean, if he ends up being a top half quarterback, like we've kind of discussed, and the line holds up, you know, you have a top half position group with the running backs. Yes, there are big questions on defense. They should be better, though. There is enough there that if Jalen Daniels is a top-half quarterback, that's going to keep you in a lot of games. And the more games you're competitive in, the more you're going to come out winning at the very end. So if that is the case, if you told me Jalen Daniels will be a top-half quarterback in the Big 12, I do think they get four more wins. Here's the thing. Mm -hmm. From what I've heard, a lot of praise on the offense. Mm -hmm. Good quarterback room, really great running back room, decent O-line, decent receivers, decent tight ends. couple of great defenders, but nothing really stands out. Other than the safeties, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, that's it. It reminds me a tad bit, obviously not quite as talented, like not even close, tad bit about the 2018 Chiefs. Great yeah. offense, terrible defense. Now, yeah, they made it to the AFC Championship. However, they had some tough losses in there. Remember the LA game? They lost like 54-52. That was rough. They should have won that one, lost it, and that, that it was kind of rough to look back on. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, yeah, they're not they're not as talented as that team was. What I'm trying to say is it has to be both ends of the spectrum, offense and defense. Because if you think about it, when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, great, uh, decent offense, you know, towards the latter half of, of I mean, the, the postseason, the offense was great. I mean, especially in that Houston game. And they, they made their mark, but that defense really stepped it up as well. I and mean, especially in the Super Bowl, you know, some great free agent signings and stuff like that. And they really stepped things up. I need to see a bit more proof from this Kansas defense, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be the biggest key of the first game. Like, how does the defense look? But even then, you won't totally know because it's an FCS opponent. But if they do go off on offense, that'll leave you with some uh, bad taste in your mouth. Here's how they have to get to four if they want to get there. Tennessee Tech and Duke are must-wins if you want to get to four. Then between West Virginia, Houston, Iowa State, TCU, with the first two on the road, the next two at home, you got to win at least one of those, possibly both. Because if you don't win both, then you're probably having to beat either at Texas Tech, Texas at home, or at Kansas State. So that's that's the recipe to four. It is there. I think it's a possibility. I, I kind of said, you know, we had this conversation with Matt Tate earlier this week. He said the most likely he thinks is two wins followed by three followed by one. I For me, it's, it's three followed by two followed by four followed by I'd probably go five then one at that point. I would agree. I was about to mm-hmm. say I'd honestly go five before one. I mean, if they get one, that would be uh, – that would be very, very uh, saddening for, yeah. for what the, the momentum of, of this thing that feels like it's going would, would be. He is Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to let you hear some KU football player audio. And then coming up in about 15 minutes, John Kirby of Jayhawks Land joins us. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? 
You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Joined now by John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant Rivals with us here, and uh, they've got some good deals going on that you can uh, join and, and be a part of the Jayhawk Slant community here right before the start of another football season, four weeks away from this uh, very day. Camp has started up this week. Um, I guess, I don't know, the biggest piece of news that came from earlier this week was Lance Leipold, who pretty much, I I mean, I guess he left like a little bit of a crack open to say that it still is a competition and, and things can happen, but pretty much said that Jalen Daniels is going to be the week one starter. Um, very different than we've had in seasons past. Obviously, last year, I don't think was the same situation as when it would happen under David Beatty and, and some of these other coaches, uh, because last year they were just coming in so late and they were having to evaluate everything on such a a short period of time um but I don't know it's not really a surprise I just do you think that having a guy that they've actually named uh you know four weeks still to go in camp do you think that will have benefits moving forward for KU well you know Derek, I've got a little different take on this, man. I, I mean, I was there when he said it, and I went back and watched the video, and I'll be honest with you. I mean, you know, I, I think they expect Daniel to be the starter, okay? But when you go back and whoa, just watch Lance's tone and his body language, I almost took it more as, hey, listen, if you guys want to write that that's the starter, okay, go ahead. You know, he had the really good three games at the end of the year. You know, they took him to Big 12 Media Day and all that, but, like, I think Lance wants these guys to compete. You know, I don't think he wants to just hand out anything. I want he he wants to see these guys raise to the highest level they can and push each other. You know, I've heard Jason Beans look pretty good so far. Now, listen, you're only what three or four days in the camp, so I mean, it really doesn't mean a whole lot, okay? But I don't know. I I kind of took it as, hey, you guys can go write that, all right? But you know, the the, the fact of the matter is, we we want to see these guys compete. Yeah, and I think that is a theme throughout everything. Now, I know when we got a chance to to talk to both quarterbacks, and I, I can't remember who, but somebody did ask Jason Bean the, the question about, you know, what would be your role if, if you aren't the starting quarterback? Like, would you be used in other ways? And, and he kind of just, you know, took the, the, I guess, the coach speak way of, you know, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to make this team better and try to improve every day and stuff. Do you think that would be a real possibility that, if Jason Bean does not end up being the starting quarterback, that we could see him in some other role on the field as a receiver or running back? You know, they may do something to get the speed on the field, but everything that I hear, I mean, I think these guys, I just don't know if they're into the gimmick thing, right? And I don't, you know, maybe bring him on if you're going to do a reverse and or a flea flicker or something like that. But everything that I've heard is, He's a quarterback, and, and they wanted to use him as a quarterback, you know. But if there's something that he can do where you're going to run some type of reverse play, do you want to get somebody to get to the edge? You know, he, he is, hey, I joked with him. I asked him the question in the press conference, who is the fastest guy on the team? And he, he laughed and said he is. So, I mean, you know, the, he's got some ability and, and speed, especially straight line speed. So, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to sit here and, and take good receivers off the field right, to get him the ball or take good running backs off the field. I mean, you got a stable of running backs now, so you're kind of sitting here saying, if you're going to get Jason Bean on the field, okay, as another position, who are you taking off to get him on? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's where it becomes difficult. And and as much as I, I think Kerry Meyer has almost ruined the idea of, yeah, if he's, you know, an athletic quarterback and, and he's not the starter, of course he can just be a, an all-conference. Like, we have no idea. I don't know. Can Jason Bean catch or run a route if that were to even be the case? Uh, I, I do want to make mention of, before we get into some more just camp stuff, uh, there was another commit today for KU, Alex Rach. Uh, I don't know if that's proper pronunciation or everything, but comes over from the JUCO ranks, originally from Switzerland, which is interesting because you don't always hear you know football stories from guys from Switzerland. Um, played some receiver, played some safety at the JUCO ranks. What is KU getting with this kid? Is he a walk-on? Is he on scholarship? How many years does he have left? All those sorts of details. Yeah, no, he's definitely on scholarship. You know, there, um, you know, there were some schools really trying to get him. I know Troy and uh, Colorado State and Hawaii. Um, they really liked him. You know, he's a, he's an older guy. He came from Switzerland. Came over as a wide receiver. I had a chance to talk to his coach, Derek, this morning for a while. It was just very interesting hearing the story. This guy's had some success from you know some of the foreign players coming over. So you know, this guy's really never been in. In a, in a real system, right? So his coach said he would come over, he'd play football, and when the semester was over, he'd go back home and work, okay? So he said he wasn't even here for a full year. He was here for a semester, and he would go back. And he said the kid can really run. He said he came in as a wide receiver, okay? And the, the coach kind of joked and laughed around because he said they decided to move him to defense. And after the first few practices, they watched him run and hit people. And he said, hey, I'm the head coach and I'm the defensive coordinator. I wasn't going to let him go back on offense because I knew I had something here. So, you know, they, they do a lot of different things with him. He played some safety, played some outside linebacker. He lined up on the edge. When you watch his film, I mean, coming off the edge now, he is, he is fast off the edge. I mean, he, he comes like he shot out of a cannon. So, you know, hey, listen, this is one of those deals. You know, it, it reminds me of something in the Mangino era where they would find some kid that was kind of under the radar that maybe had some ability, could run, a little bit underdeveloped, bring him in and see what he can do over the next couple of years. You know, you and I have talked about, you know, the scholarship situation and the rules now. I mean, it's almost like you get to reload every year with, with new scholarships. So, you know, there's nothing there's nothing wrong anymore with taking a chance on a few guys that you see potential in, see what they can do and see how they can develop. Would he kind of go in line with some of the other JUCO kids they brought in where, yeah, they could play right away, but also a lot of them still have the redshirt year available. So you could have guys coming from the JUCO ranks who have three years left to play, four with a redshirt. Does he kind of fit that bill as well? No, uh, Derek, I believe he this he's a two-by-two, two, okay? So he's not a three-by-two. So he's got two years left, and he does not have a red shirt available. So, you know, when I watched his film, you know, the first thing I thought was, okay, if he takes a little while to learn or he's still got some development to do, he's never really been in a strength and conditioning program full-time. I'll tell you, this guy, I mean, he looked like somebody you could put on special teams. And, you know, th that's a... That's an area that goes under noticed because, you know, KU special teams has been so hard to play with these last umpteen years because you've always had roster issues and depth problems. And if you can find athletes who can go out and play special teams, you know, that, that, that's a big deal. And you, you just can't throw people on special teams. You know, I, w I was talking to a guy one time and, and they said it, it was a local, it was a local high school coach. And he said, you know what? Kansas should take my kid because the least he could do is go there 
and play special teams. And I want to say it was when Darren Sproles was there, and, and I told this to a KU coach, and the, the coach said, okay, so let me get this straight. This coach thinks we're going to take his player and put him out on special teams and send him down the field to tackle Darren Sproles in the open field <laughs> on a punt return. So, so I'm just saying, you know, special teams is a position that if you can find good athletes with speed and they know how to tackle, that's a big thing to add to your program. Yeah, and we know that, like you said, KU has had some uh, struggles there. Uh, I'm going to be doing a special teams preview on Monday. There are some areas that they're actually a lot better in last year, though, that they might not imagine. But, um, yeah, that, that certainly is helpful there. Uh, how about Lorenzo McCaskill? He transferred from Louisiana, all Sunbelt player, missed the first couple days of camp, but able to make it over. I don't know if it was a transcript issue or, or whatever, but point is that he's here now, and uh, – where do you kind of view him as, as being able to put a foothold into the starting lineup? Like, is this something that because he was late to the game, and I'm not just talking about missing the first two days of camp, but, you know, wasn't here for spring ball and everything, that it might take him a little longer to be a starter, or do you expect him to kind of be with that first unit right away? Yeah, I don't know if he'll be in the first unit. I think there's a lot of competition at that linebacker spot, and that is probably one of the positions – to keep an eye on that would be one of the more contested spots in fall camp going into the season. But what he what he is is, I mean, a guy comes from Louisiana, which is a great program. I mean, they, they win a lot of games down there in recent years. And, you know, what he had, I want to say, 84, 85 tackles last year, 83 the year before. So, I mean, he can play football, and he can play football in a good program. So he's not going to be a guy that needs to get, a lot of acclimation. He's going to figure out how to come in. I'm sure he's, you know, those, those guys are savvy. They're, they've been through the ringer enough. I mean, he's played his football, so he's going to come in in decent shape. Okay, He's not going to be, like, out of shape. He's going to know what the meat and potatoes is of playing college football at that level. So he's going to plug right in, but I do think he's going to have competition. And I, I couldn't sit here and tell you that I would pencil him in as a starter. So is that the, the position that you're kind of most interested to see what happens or, or that you feel like is maybe the most unknown, not in terms of what they have, but in terms of who would be the guys in that starting role? Yeah, linebacker definitely, Derek, I would look at. I would, I would go linebacker, um, tight end, and running back. Those are probably the three positions that I think would rank up at the top if I had to put them on a list of what the competition is going to look like in fall camp. I mean, you've got guys coming back. I I know they like Barry Hill, who came on last year. I mean, you got Gavin Potter back. You got um, Rich Miller back, who is, you know, hey, he came on at the end of last year. And then you take and you got Craig Young, you got Eric Gilliard, you got McCaskill. Okay. I just named you three guys who started at Central Florida and, you know, Young got playing time at Ohio State. McCaskill started at Louisiana. It was a top 25 program. I just mean three guys that are going in at that position. They could be starters. I mean, they could be starters on a lot of teams. So I think the competition at linebacker is going to be great. Um, tight end. I mean, you got like five or six guys on scholarship that, you know, you know, Andy Nicky said in his press conference the other day that, you know, he's going to, play to his personnel, which when you look at it, that, that could mean two tight ends on the field because he's got several tight ends. Many have played, and that's going to be a great competition. And then I think running back is 
you know, with Devin Neal and Sevion Morrison and, and, and the guys who were there, Kai Thomas is in. You got Daniel Hyshaw who's coming, coming off his injury, had a really good spring. So those, those are three position groups that, that I'm very interested to watch. And you know what, Derek? I mean, I, I got to tell you, it's so nice to sit here and start talking about positions with KU football where you're rattling off names, okay, which means there's depth, which means they're starting to build the roster because it's been a while that you can sit here and and, and say, let me just throw like seven names at a linebacker or five names at a tight end or four names at running back. It's been a long time so you and I could sit here and talk about that luxury. Yeah, that's a good point. And tight end definitely is – uh, it, it perks my interest a lot too because you have you know Fairchild and Cardell who were most often playing last year. I, I'm still high on what Will Huggins could eventually be in the program. I think has a lot of potential there after coming in from kind of the local area. Obviously, Tavita Noah from the JUCO ranks, and then you can't forget about Jared Casey. And um, as you kind of look at that depth chart, like the last what three games of the season, Jared Casey basically was like one of the top tight ends. In the group, but they were dealing with some other injuries there. I, I guess how do you uh, kind of peg where you think Casey will be in the pecking order at the tight end group for uh, that KU folk hero and Jared Casey? Yeah, but you know, Derek, the thing I think he did last year was he showed that the the two point conversion against Texas, right? That wasn't a fluke. I mean that. You know, I think you saw it, and you're like, hey, this is a local kid. Good for him, man. What a cool story. And then he proceeds to go out and catch more passes and lay some good blocks and just kind of keep doing it. So you're like, okay, hey, this guy's not just a one-time, a one-hit wonder on catching a two-point conversion. The thing that the thing that got me with the tight ends, and I and I got to tell you, it, it surprised me when I found out when I kind of got the the word that they were on Noah. I was like, really? Because I'm thinking, you know, they got a pretty good group of tight ends coming back. But then they went out and got Noah, and, I mean, Andy Kotelnicki is the offensive coordinator and the tight ends coach, so obviously he wanted to add more competition to the room from what they already had, and I thought they had a solid group to begin with. And then he said in his press conference that you've got to have a guy, and he was talking about Noah, who blocks the B-gap, the C-gap, because, you know, they run that wide zone, so you've got to have guys who can block. And the tight end struggled last year blocking, so I think Kotelnicki said, hey, I'm going to bring in another guy, and I know this guy can block, so somebody's going to have to show me they can, you know, block to be in this offense. Yeah, and uh, I, I'll be really interested. I, I would love for Jared Casey to kind of take up that role, but I don't know. Maybe one of them even ends up as like a kind of fullback, H-back role if, if they're using that at all. I, I guess we'll kind of wait and see. Uh, John, before I let you go, uh, there have been, you know, like Marcus Calvin just committed to KU. Uh, where does where do things kind of stand right now for the class of 2023, and is there anything kind of on the lookout? Yeah, I think they've done a, a very good job. You know, I, I told the people on our message board the other day that I could kind of see the number being around 15 high school players that they look at. And, you know, going into the season, they could be sitting at 10 or 11 commitments of high school players, which may not leave a lot of work because you've got the portal. That's going to be a – that's good every year the portal is now going to factor in. So, you know, if you can build with 15 high school kids every year and then add guys in the portal, you kind of keep building that base of high school players. So I think everything's on schedule. They had a real good June. Um, something to watch next week, Cason Wiseman, the quarterback out of Georgia, 
is going to announce. I mean, I think Kansas has done a great job with him. I think, you know, he's got 15, 20 Division I offers. Um, not a lot of Power 5 guys, but some really good football school, schools. He was at the camp this summer, watched him. He's a good player. Um, so, you know, I, I think KU's very much in the mix there. All right, that'd certainly be interesting because heard good things about Ethan Vasco, Jalen Daniels, obviously a youngster. So, uh, who knows? It seems like the quarterback position seems to be in uh, a lot better footing than it has been in years past. John, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day, as always, man. All right, Derek. Hey, have a good one. That was John Kirby. You can check out his work, Jayhawk Slant, and at Rivals.com. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. Sports stock market, fast lane coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool, and they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, that's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Shock Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk. We have some more audio to share for you. Brandon McAnderson's going to join us at the top of the five o'clock hour. We've also got a, another edition of Fast Lane coming up, but it's four o'clock on a Friday. Stock market officially closed. Let's tell you. What's up? What's down in our sports stock market, which once again is not just sports, although today I think it all is. Okay, cue the music. Stock is up on the NFL trying to save face. This whole Deshaun Watson ordeal continues to go on. Uh, It was announced, I think, Monday that he was given a six-game suspension as part of everything, and... A lot of people, I would say a majority of people, are like, yeah, that's not enough time. I mean, obviously, if you're a Cleveland Brown fan, um, you know, the, they're probably saying, well, it shouldn't even be any games. Um, like in the court of law, he was this or that. So Trevor Bauer, for instance, which I think there's, I don't know, it's it's a, it's a little bit of a different situation. In fact, it's very different in a lot of ways, but... Uh, like he suspended for like two years, plus he was suspended yeah. for like half all of last year in the MLB. The NFL, he only gets a six game suspension. So I don't know if this is just playing the PR game by the NFL or if this is actually what they're hoping gets accomplished here, but they're filing an appeal on the six game suspension. They want more games, they want more time that Deshaun Watson is suspended for. And the NFLPA has, has responded in, in some way with a letter or whatnot. Um, from what I heard, the NFL wants the suspension to be at least one full year plus a monetary fine. Which, okay, this is what I don't understand here. Like, why can't the NFL just give out this punishment? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, this whole thing seems so weird. Um, but the part of me is like what I don't know for sure here, and this is why stock is up on the NFL trying to save face. Are they actually trying to suspend him a year or are they just trying to leak stuff out right. and make this a public ceremony of, no, we did our best. Like, we care about, 
like trying to do right here. We tried to suspend him for a year. It just didn't happen. I mean, you have to be honest and just you have to acknowledge that the NFL has been very up and down yeah, when very. it comes to the consistency of the suspensions. Right. I mean, I went over, I think it was on Monday, some of the other like suspensions that um, have happened in that time. Again, Calvin Ridley got suspended a full freaking season for placing like a $700 parlay when he was away from the team and he picked the Falcons to win the game. And I do understand there is a stickiness to that. Like, you know, you don't want a Pete Rose situation. I get that. But why is that worth right. three times the amount of games as what Deshaun Watson got, right? Like that. And if you think about it, I, I, I don't know why I'm totally blanking on this guy's name. This happened two or three years ago where a guy got suspended for the rest of the season for a hit. Yeah, I think it was Vontez Burfitt. Vontez Burfitt. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He got suspended, which happened to be like 12 games for targeting. Mm -hmm. For for one targeting play. Mm -hmm. But Deshaun wants to get six games for the whole legal deal that's going on. And and you might say, well, Vontez Burfitt was a repeat offender. He had several other targeting incidents. Well, you know who else is a repeat offender? (laughs) Deshaun freaking Watson. Unbelievable. Tell us how you really feel, Derek. (laughs) Okay. Uh,. Stocks up on being a creepy ex. No, I'm not going back to Deshaun Watson here. Um, Utah coach Kyle Whittingham says the Pac-12 is discussing holding neutral site conference games in Los Angeles. George Klyovkov also added to it, telling SI Now, the idea we would abdicate Los Angeles because USC and UCLA aren't in the conference makes no sense to me. So... They're basically like, hey, USC, UCLA, we know we that you broke up with us, but we're going to go hang out in your pool in your backyard because <laughs> yeah, we I, liked I just, going to I your just pool. imagine peeping through the hedges right. with a camera, maybe binoculars. <laughs> yeah. The blinds are open. <laughs> Shut the blinds. Right. It's like, do you mind if I come over to your house? I know we're dating no longer, but like, can I come over to your house and watch TV? I really liked your, your TV setup in your basement there. It's like, no, that's not how this works. Like, of course, they want to stick with... LA, but everyone would love LA. So are you just saying that every team across the country, like the SEC, they're going to start playing in LA and that's going to take up for it? Um, So I don't know. It's also just kind of a silly decision. Like, why are you going to all of a sudden take away games from teams on their home campus to play in a neutral site in LA to make it more difficult for both fans to come out? And you think that, like, just neutral LA fans are going to come out to the game? LA fans have a hard enough going to hard yeah. enough time going to like UCLA games to right. begin with. They're not going to come out to just like a random game. So I don't understand that at all. Um, so I guess at the same point in time, not just being a creepy ex, but stock is down on the Pac-12 coming up with good ideas because that is not a good idea. Next story though, stock is up on the Pac-12 being good or uh, actually coming up with good ideas because here is a good idea that the Pac-12 came up with. On Thursday, the conference announced an initiative alongside Twitter, NIL Marketplace Opendoors, and sports technology startup Tempest X Machina that will allow football players to monetize videos of their top moments on the field. During the 2022-23 season, Tempest X Machina, which is a partnership with the Pac-12, will provide athletes with a custom digital video after each game that includes their best plays and camera shots from various angles. Cool. Once players tweet their highlight reels out, 
Twitter's Amplify platform will populate the video with pre-roll advertising. According to the Pac-12 and Twitter, the athlete will be paid based on the advertisement that was sold. So I would imagine, um, I don't know if this will be like an upfront cost or if it'll be based on, you know, this is how many views you got, this is how many views the ad got, you get so many cents right. per view or whatever. Uh, but it like says ad revenue. Yeah, stuff, exactly. Basically. In exchange for posting two highlights per week after a win or loss, which they're doing all the video, all the person has to do is save the video, tweet it out. So it's easy enough for these kids. Football players who are approved for the program will receive a total of $1,250, as well as a potential percentage of the program's overall revenue. Source familiar with the deal told ESPN. I don't know if it's $1,250 per week or overall. Either way, it's something where that's an easy little bit of money that the players can have while also having fun, while also they get to tweet out their own highlights that they don't actually have to do the work over. Obviously, this isn't going to be... They're not going to just ask this for like every single player, but if you're a good player, you're a player that's playing a lot and you have enough highlights on film to do it, uh, great use of NIL. And this is a great idea by the Pac-12. This is going to be something that I would imagine other conferences are going to follow suit. Other schools might just follow suit because why would you not do this? Yeah, exactly. And I, I know one of the biggest arguments when it came to the NIL discussion was monetizing social media. I mean, obviously this is basketball. This is way before NIL even took part. Like, let's just say that this would happen in basketball and you bring in Zion Williamson. Mm -hmm. Holy cow, he'd get a (laughs) decent amount of money. And the the dude already had like a million followers. I think this is great. I think this is a a great idea to really also just improve the brand of these players, getting paid for their highlights just posting on social media. Because I think monetizing social media accounts is a step forward for NIL. Oh, for sure. And like, like to your point of Zion, how he had so many followers, it increases the possible revenue. You know, if you do have more followers, if this is based on a, you get a certain percentage based on if you get more views or whatnot. I think a uh, great idea. Other conferences should follow suit. And, and that that's an idea that makes sense that you pack 12, you have the uh, kind of area in Northern California where, you know, you have the tech area and everything. That's something that everybody should follow suit, to be honest. Okay. Uh, stock is down on Tyreek Hill having team success. With the Miami Dolphins, not just because they are the Miami Dolphins. I talked earlier this week, I think it was on Case of the Mondays. When you look at Tyreek Hill, he is, you know, obviously unbelievable receiver, making $30 million per year. He's getting a four-year $120 million extension with the Dolphins. Debo Samuel, meanwhile, got a three-year, like, $72 million deal. So Tyreek Hill's making about $6 million more per year and more years and again, you could split hairs with who you think is the better receiver. I probably think Tyreek Hill is the better receiver, but when you add in the value that Debo also plays running back, it seems like kind of a toss-up to me. Right. But the Dolphins now, in addition to you know not just paying top money and using up a lot of your cap on a receiver, but also using a lot more than other comparable players at the position to where it looks more like an overpay, even as crazy as... Dolphins now also have to deal with not having a first-round draft pick in 2023. In addition to that, they're not going to have other draft picks from trading Tyreek Hill. Now, the biggest of which they lost already this past year, which was the second rounder, but you know some other draft picks as well. So they're losing a ton of draft picks. They lose the first in 2023 for a tampering probe. Um, and in addition to, you know, uh, with like Stephen Ross, the owner, uh, trying to, 
get them to tank and everything and, and offering to pay Brian Flores to lose games. This Dolphins team feels like to be yeah. a team with, with a lot more flash than substance. I agree. Um, I, I, I just, I honestly don't think there's going to be much success, you know, with Tyreek Hill, with the Dolphins, because, yeah, everything's just going downhill. Mm-hmm. And I, I I mean, I just have this uneasy, not this uneasy feeling, I just have this funny feeling. He's going to go to the Chiefs and be like, please take me back, I'm sorry, <laughs> and then stocks up for him for being a creepy ex. Yeah, right? I mean, every podcast that he's, like, sending out is, like, you know, talking about the Chiefs and, and all this stuff. It's like, dude, just move on. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, it's like, I'm so over you, but I'm going to talk about you for the next hour. They have the flash with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Those are two exciting running yeah. backs. You, you go out and sign Raheem Mostert. And, you know, Tua, as much as there are questions there, he still does have the question of oh maybe he could still be something pretty good especially with these weapons former first round pick for a while was being talked about as being the first overall pick in the draft there is a lot of flash there but there hasn't been as much substance and honestly it's funny because Brian Flores in year two for him there they almost made the playoffs and it almost felt like more substance than there was flash now they've kind of turned around from that I'll say this I don't think Tyreek Hill ever wins a playoff game in Miami I would agree I does he make a playoff game with Miami? Hmm. See, it's tough in the NFL, especially now with the expanded wild yeah. cards where you get three wild cards in. Like, could they find a way to go nine and eight, ten and seven one year? And because he's there for four years in theory, unless he ever asks out for a trade or got released at some point or something. Um, and that's why I'm just limiting it to the Dolphins, because who knows what is in the future of his career. But right. you know, he, it's, it's hard to totally discount it. You just start thinking, though, like just in that division alone, the Bills over the next four years should be better than them when you have Josh Allen. The Patriots, you kind of just trust them, what they've done. Would it be that crazy if Zach Wilson worked out and Tua was kind of a disaster and, and they ended up being better? I, I wouldn't pick it, but I don't think right. it would be totally crazy. It's um, likely. It's definitely likely. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, if you're just talking about wild cards, I guess, too, like, hey, you could make the case that all three teams that don't win the AFC West could be the three wild cards. I don't think it'll happen because they'll beat up <laughs> on each other. But at the very least, you should get one or two out of the AFC right. West. So it, it becomes difficult. And I get it. Like, you could say in three years they make the playoffs. But, yeah, I'll, like, if you if you had to make the bet right now, do the Dolphins ever make the playoffs with Tyreek Hill or do they not? I think I would lean no, but the thing that scares me is what if he plays out the four years and then gets another four-year extension? Eight years is a long time or something like that. Mm. But, yeah, definitely I wouldn't pick him to win a playoff game. And, and yeah, I don't think I would pick him to go to the playoffs at that point. Okay, uh, stock is up on Bill Self post-NCAA punishment decision. KU landed a near top 30 recruit, or by some places a top 30 recruit in a summer where they're still dealing with the NCAA cloud in a summer where he didn't even get to go out and wasn't even on the recruiting trail as KU kind of sidelined him from some of the big recruiting events that on go during the summer months such as in July you know Peach Jam all these EYBL events yeah imagine how much things will open up even more once the NCAA stuff is through we don't know when that's going to be it could be uh, I mean, there. I mean, there's there's like the whole rant by Dick Vitale saying that it just should be dropped at this point. Um, it's been so long. It has been just so long. Because I, I mean, think about it. 
Um, I just graduated from KU. Mm-hmm. This whole thing's been going on the whole time I was there. That's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Like, we still don't even know when the decision will be. The decision might not come till who knows, at this point next year, right? And then if the decision doesn't come till next year, what if there's punishments that last for two years after that? KU might not be out of this thing officially for three years. There is something nice about, though, knowing when the expiration date would actually be as opposed to where it is right now, where right. we have no idea when this will end, if it will end, honestly. Um, so once they do come out of it, even though that could be a while down the road, I think Bill Self is just going to start reeling in top five, top ten recruits oh, yeah. at the level of what you're seeing some of the other top teams in the country. I would agree. I, I would definitely agree. I mean, uh, like you said, if he's able to get a top 30, well, not even be in there. Mm-hmm. I think that's a perfect recipe for success. Last one. Stock is up on wondering what's going on with Jaren's Howard. Jaren's Howard, the former KU assistant, longtime KU assistant for Bill Self, left the program, went to Texas last year, got a big pay jump. Texas was kind of filling out the staff with kind of like an all-star staff of assistants, hiring even head coaches, other places to come in and be assistants under Chris Beard. His name has been removed from the staff directory at Texas, and he has resigned from the position. Now, nothing's really come out as to why, if there was maybe a disagreement between him and Chris Beard, if maybe Chris Beard didn't want him on staff anymore, if this was just a him decision, he didn't like the fit there. Maybe this is something where another job is popping up and he had to resign first. So that'd be kind of weird because typically when you hear about that, when you hear about a guy like, hey, I got a job somewhere else, you don't hear resigned. And then a week later, I got a job somewhere else in the coaching profession, at least in the coaching profession. You just typically hear, no, I took a job somewhere else. So I'm leaving that job. So could, I don't know what this is. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like, hey, I found a new job. I found a head coaching job somewhere. And then Texas would be very salty and just remove him from everything just immediately before any sort of uh, media thing comes out or Jared Howard actually releases the information to the public. Yeah. I don't I'm not know. saying that's what happened. I'm just saying I wouldn't I would not be surprised. No, I I wouldn't either. So I don't I don't know what's totally going on here. Um but that was a it was a pretty big deal when he left KU to go to Texas because again, that was a guy that was pretty pivotal in a lot of big-time recruits that you were bringing in and was the key recruiter for a lot of those names. And for him to leave, let alone to a conference opponent, a team they're competing with, it it certainly drew some headlines, but I don't know. Right now, it certainly seems like KU was on the winning end. In fact, KU was on the winning end of things. They won the <laughs> national title uh, without Jaron Tower. And I'll always remember, I want to say it was like Christian Brown after KU beat Texas in overtime on, on senior day, you can like briefly see on the, the video feed him like kind of run up by Jaron Howard and point to like his ring finger, which uh, for getting a Big 12 championship ring, which will always be funny to me and, and adds to the uh, wonder wonderful parts of Christian Brown kind of endearing himself to the fan base in a uh, very unique way, in a fun way. I think, it was, I think it was also because, you know, Jaron's was the second... KU coach in a span of three or four years to leave to go to Texas. And Andrea Booty left a few years ago. Mm-hmm. The strength and conditioning coach for KU. She yep. left to go to, uh, to Texas. He is Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. That is your sports stock market for the week. We have some more player audio to share for you. And then after that, Fast Lane. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it.
Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. 20 till 5, this is Rock Shock Sports Talk. Playing Gillespie, I am Derek Johnson. Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, is going to join the show here at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We've also got some more audio to play for you. We'll hear from Kenny Logan, the star safety for KU. We'll do that coming up later on in the show. But it's that time on a Friday. Let's go on the fast lane with Lane Gillespie. All right, let's do it. Let me just cue the music as I say it to myself. Mm. All right. Room, room. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was so monotone. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, anyway. I, I, I've done a lot of baseball statistics since this segment started. I'm going to continue that trend because, well, we're, I wouldn't say we're smack dab in the middle of well, I mean, we season. are, but also baseball is the sport of stats, to that be honest. That is true. Yeah. All right. Uh, I only have a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Tuesday, Trey Turner of the Dodgers became the first player in 21 years to have two 20-plus game hit streaks in a wow. single season. The last was Ichiro in 2001. When he was a rookie, he won Rookie of the Year and American League MVP. That's, I would have he thought was, that would definitely have happened by now. I right. mean, I, I, I understand nobody getting the Joe DiMaggio hit streak, but that's just two separate 20 game hit streak, which I, again, it's like very hard, but there have been a lot of really good contact hitters in between Ichiro and Trey Turner, guys yeah. who have hit 300. I mean, heck, there was a season where Joe Maurer hit like, was hitting like 380 yeah. for half the season. You know, Chipper Jones had a year where, he was almost hitting 400. So I, I'm very surprised that that has not happened since then. Yeah. Um, but that speaks to, you know, how good the Dodgers lineup is because you could argue that Trey Turner is not even one of the, like, I don't know, two or three best hitters on the team. I would agree. Because um, yeah. you have Freddie Freeman, you have Mookie Betts. I don't know. You'd probably have Trey Turner third there after the. I mean, they have a lot of other good hitters. But, uh, yeah, they're absolutely loaded. And shout out to Ichiro because Ichiro, yeah. absolute stud. Uh, if you're curious, that 2001 season when he was with the Mariners, by the way, he was 28 years old when he was a rookie. Um, <laughs> because, well, there was like this whole thing where like, I think like Japanese players were not allowed to play in the MLB until 2001 or something like that. See, it's it's interesting now, and I don't know if this is part of it as well, but I know now there are certain like posting rules where, and again, it's been 20 years, so it probably is different now. But nowadays it's like, um, if you... You can either go into, like, the MLB draft, essentially, or you have to wait till, like, a, a certain amount of time before you can just sign as a free agent, and that's when you right. would get the big payday. Okay. So that's why, like, Shohei Otani came over a couple years ago when he was, like, 26 as opposed to when he was, like, 22 years old, mm-hmm. which, I, honestly, like, that's probably the better way to do it if you're, you know, from one of these foreign countries or if you're from uh, Japan like, like Otani was or... Uh, whatnot, where like instead of just slogging away in the minor leagues where you're not getting paid anything in the U.S., make a lot of money, go to these sold-out games, be in your hometown, 
and then come over and get an immediate big contract and, and go straight to the MLB. Right. Um, so, like, with the Mariners, like, Ichiro's Mariner, Mariners in 2001, they won 116 games that season. Beast. I, I hope but, they make it back to play because they haven't made the playoffs since then. They lost in the ALCS that year to the Yankees, which, yeah, of course. in fairness, the Yankees deserve that because 9-11 and everything that happened that year. Anyway, um, next up, <laughs> Angels still suck. Anyway, um, they had seven home runs yesterday in the game. Mm-hmm. All of them were solo home runs. They lost <laughs> eight to seven. Come oh, on. <laughs> it's the most Angels thing ever. It's Again, there's that one tweet that always goes around and, Shohei Otani did something for the first time since Tungsten Armo Doyle and Mike Trout <laughs> yeah. went three for four with two home runs, and the Angels and lost. lost today, right? <laughs> this is not those specific players, but it's the same idea. Like the Angels, well, Otani had two home runs. Yeah, yeah. He, I think it was three for four, three for yeah. five. Uh, they just do something magnificent, and they still find a way to lose. Uh, this is absolutely incredible. I I feel like they did something wrong. Like they uh, they found themselves into some curse. I, I don't understand it's how either, that It's either a curse or just a giant meme at this point, basically. A little bit both. Yeah. So the seven solo home runs in a game is tied for the most in a game in MLB history. Seven home runs and a loss is tied for the most in a game in MLB history as well. Sixth time that's ever happened. That's it. Six. Wow. Yeah. See, so that's even more rare than a perfect game mm-hmm. by, I think there's like 27 perfect games, something, something like that. Like that. Yeah. That's crazy. Speaking of baseball, we're now going to move away from current players and what's currently going on. Let's go to baseball cards. Are you a baseball card collector? So, big baseball collector when I was younger. I haven't been nowadays. I thought about toying back into it once COVID hit. It started to become more popular and everything. I've actually been going through some of my old card collections lately and actually like starting to sell some of them on eBay and everything, get a little extra cash. Well, there was a rare uh, Topps 206, also known as T206, baseball card of Honus Wagner. It was sold for the, and uh, set a record for being the highest sold sports card of all time in a private sale the other day for $7.25 million. Mm. So apparently, I did some research on why, well, why was this baseball card so rare? And I know there are a lot of, like, really rare ones. So, T206, they were, they're super valuable because they are Topps cards that were sold in cigarette boxes and tobacco packs between 1909 and 1911. That's over a century ago. Now, they tried to revitalize it in 2000 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not quite as valuable because they're not quite as rare. Um, and I, I, we're back in the day and age where you could get cigarette cards. Like, you could get <laughs> cards and cigarette boxes and stuff like that, which is such a late uh, 19th century, earlier t- early 20th century thing. Um, now, tens to hundreds of thousands of cards were usually distributed for each player that was represented. But only 50 to 200 cards of Honus Wagner were distributed. Not 50 okay. to 200,000, just square up 50 to 200 cards. Um, and obviously, because it's been over a century, very few survive nowadays. Um, now, I, I did some research, uh, some more research, and the reason why so few were distributed, what may have been a reason is because originally Honus Wagner did not want to be associated with cigarettes because he didn't want to encourage children to smoke. Yeah, now, this good was for him. This was way before, um, you know, all of the yeah, labels that really you put know, on the boxes right. and everything like that uh, from the he Surgeon did. General or something like that. Yeah, so he did. Even though I think, like, they, they started selling when he became known for using chewing tobacco. Mm. But he didn't smoke, <laughs> as far as I know. Man, all-time great contact hitter. He only hit a career high of 10 home runs, but he had a long 21-year career. So ended up with... Uh, 101 career home runs just out of 
you know, longevity there. But all-time contact hitter, 328 in his career. He had uh, over 3,400 career hits, 391 on base. Uh, great steel artist as well. He had years uh, with 61, 53 steals. Absolute stud as well. Uh, he was part of the game that he didn't never had a jersey number until he was a head coach, uh, but how, or, or a manager. But most importantly of all, a little bit of trivia for you here. Do you know what Honus Wagner's brother's name was? Butts. Really? B U T T S. That was how I ironic. That was a nickname or what? How um, ironic because Honus did not like cigarettes. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. That's funny. See, it all ties together. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, also, Honus Wagner doing good on my Diamond Dynasty. Anyway. Ah. <laughs> um, last week, I turned the dial a little bit. Some sad passings of legends in the sports world. Um, Bill Russell, uh, legend in his own right, of course, won 11 titles. But. He is still the only player in NBA history to play in at least 10 Game 7s and not lose a single one. And a stat that you will not see nowadays. You want to know how many rebounds he averaged in Game 7s? 29. <laughs> 29 rebounds a game. You don't see oh that gosh. anymore. No, you don't. Uh, absolute beast. Maybe the greatest defensive center of all time. You know, top, uh, top 50 player, top 20 player, whatever list you want to put him on. Um, so many great stories meant a lot to not just the game of basketball, but to the civil rights movement as well. And it goes beyond those game sevens. I mean, you're talking about a guy who won back-to-back national titles at San Francisco, which yeah. like, it's it's San Francisco. I, I think back-to-back. I don't know. At least he won the one. I, th- I think you're right. I think it was back-to-back. Okay. Um, which, again, like when has San Francisco been you know great at basketball <laughs> and everything? And that was a different day where... A lot of times, maybe you're more so stuck around the the local school, which was the case for him. Um, but he won all those elimination games. He won an Olympic gold medal. He won all those elimination games. You couldn't beat him in elimination games. And he was just such a, a mental tactician as well, where, you know, I've, I've always been on, on team, you know, Wilt more than Bill Russell. And that hasn't just been like a KU thing. Even before I came to KU, I was that same way. But uh, you could understand from Bill Russell's standpoint, like he would always beat Wilt Chamberlain. Now I would make the argument that, you know, he just had like four or five other Hall of Famers around him, whereas Wilt yeah. maybe only had one or two others. So it's a little different there. But and, he would and, play and, this like mental game where right. he would basically be like, I know Wilt's going to get numbers against me. There's going to be times where I might even let him score to try to get his confidence up so that he doesn't pass to find the open teammate or that I can try to beat him down the court in some way. He was just kind of a mastermind in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I mean, you could also argue, I mean, a lot of rules change because of will change, uh, like like expanding the lane and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, and blocks becoming a statistic and that of the goaltending stuff. Uh, the other sad passing of Vince Scully as uh, a pair of sportscasters ourselves. Yeah. Um, probably the most legendary sportscaster uh, in history, I would say. Yeah. Um, uh, unbelievable storyteller. I, I was fortunate oh, yeah. that... You know, went to high school in Southern California and the Dodgers, they're the local team on and everything. And I'm a, I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. So, you know, the Giants and Dodgers, obviously, they're, they're rivals and everything. But I would get to watch the occasional game. I'd get to watch the, the games when they're playing the Giants. And it was always such a a treat to get to listen to his broadcast. And he would just keep you so informed and entertained and have these stories that you had no idea how he would get them. He was, he was the definition right. of first class. Uh, he actually grew up a Giants fan, ironically enough. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the big moments that he was on. It, it was cool all this week getting to see 
all these different moments and videos that were shared of of broadcasts and calls that he had. And, and again, just by all accounts, uh, seemed to be a great person, uh, a very classy and, and genuine human being. And he lived to be 94 years old, got to see some of the biggest moments in sports, got to be on the broadcast of a lot of them. Absolutely great life that oh, yeah. he lived. And the same for, for Bill Russell, 88 years old for him. Obviously, for, for Bill Russell, he had to you know go through a lot of tribes and tribulations with some of the racism that was going on, uh, especially early on in his career and everything. But um, just remarkable lives that both of those guys lived. The one stat I have for Vince Scully, broadcasted 67 seasons with the L.A. Dodgers, which is uh, the most out of any sportscaster for a single team. Absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know the saying... You die twice, once when you breathe your last breath, the second when they say your name for the last time. Yeah. I think for both of those guys, that second part, not going to be for a long time. Yep. And that's absolutely awesome. All right. Um, keep things a bit more upbeat, but uh, obviously recipes <laughs> to uh, both of those legends. Um, the primary elections were on Tuesday for Kansas, and I'm, I'm not advocating for a, any specific side. This is mm-hmm. just something funny that no, I— No, tell us. Uh, where did you vote, and uh, <laughs> what did you vote for? Who do you always vote? Well, <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, when I was uh, reading the results as they were going along, I was in Seattle mm-hmm. uh, because that was the latter end of my uh, vacation. I was in a hotel in Seattle, and uh, this this funny thing, just scrolling through, I just, I just looked at. It was the— uh, gubernatorial race for the Democratic Party. If you need a pick me up, just know that you're not Richard Karnowski, unless you are, <laughs> in which case I am so sorry. So obviously, Laura Kelly, the current governor of Kansas. And so it's no surprise that she's going to beat out Karnowski, but it was 259,000 votes for Laura Kelly and 17,000 for Karnowski. That's 94% to 6%. <laughs> and I think Dude. at one point it was 1,000. Like the early part was like 1,000 to 17. Poor guy. Yeah. Very. I mean, at that point, it's like you would have rather just not run because yeah. you're right. I mean, at that point, it's not just at that like, point. What do you Oh, do? my gosh. You wasted all this time and I'm assuming money, money to like go on the campaign trail just to get absolutely beat down like that. Like that is rough. That's like that's like embarrassing. I. To be honest, like I, I don't even know who Richard Karnowski is. I don't either. I never, I never well heard of the name. I never did. Yeah. I just saw that and I was like, oh, poor guy. Anyway, um, speaking of vacation, I just came back. I uh, went on a cruise to Alaska, um, flew to Seattle to start off, went as far north as uh, Juneau. Juneau was actually kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously just sailed around quite a bit. So I calculated the miles that I traveled either by plane or by boat. And by calculated, I mean I used the ruler tool on Google Earth because I'm not going to waste the time and effort to look up how far everything is. Um, I traveled a total of around 5,200 miles, which is absolutely not. Well, in fairness, mm. by plane, that was about 3,000 because it's about 1,500 miles from here to Seattle. So it's the mile of miles because miles yes. is, what, 5,200 feet? So yeah. Miles like squared, that. basically. 5,280, yes. Something like that. Yeah. Sometimes I think about, especially when I'm like, watch, I, I've been rewatching uh, partially. My wife's been rewatching Game of Thrones, and I've been mm-hmm. watching the occasional episode with her uh, before the, I think it's House of the Dragon comes out here in a couple weeks or something like that. And it always, like, makes me think, like, I have no idea how far, like, in shows like that or in medieval times or just really times before, like, cars in general, like, how far away things are. Mm-hmm. But, like, for instance, you know, if... Us to Topeka, uh, for instance, or us to Kansas City, it's just like, ah, you know, you just drive 30 minutes, drive 45 minutes. Right. Not that big of a deal. But, like, pre-car, if I was going from here to Topeka, it would have to be, like, 
I don't know, an all week thing. You know what I mean? Something like, like that. I mean, you, you, I mean, you see like some stories or like some old Western tales or something like that, where if they're going to a different state, that's a multi-day trip. Yeah. They, you have and to take your sleeping bag and your tent yeah. with you, pack it on your horse. And, and, and the horse is walking trip. the entire time. There are yes. no breaks in between there. You're just exactly. like going. That's exactly. like brutal. Mm-hmm. But thank goodness for uh, new age technology oh, and yeah. travel. Oh, yeah. Uh, last up, today is International Beer Day. Um, so Good I looked, day. Yeah. I looked up. By the way, not a beer person. Mm. because I, I. Well, okay. In fairness, I've had the cheaps. Bud Light and, nat- and Natty Light. That's that's. Do you have a drink of choice or not really a drinker? Um, I mean, I I, I did have a lot of drinks on the cruise. Yeah. Um, what'd you go with? Wine? Do you go with? Uh, I'm a I'm like a rum or whiskey guy. Okay. Mostly, you have to mix it in with something. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying like it has to be completely whiskey, sweet. Coke. Yeah, something like go. that. It just has to mix with something. Mm-hmm. I can't do it straight unless it's. I'm gonna sound like a teenage. Or no, okay, not. Teenage. Anyway, I'm gonna sound like a college girl, but uh, Malibu is uh-huh. delicious. Anyway, um, on average, <laughs> Americans, this is not the world, okay. this is Americans, consume 6.3 billion gallons of beer per year. That <laughs> that averages to 26.2 gallons per adult that's of legal mm-hmm. drinking age. So that's a marathon of beer per year, per person. So this was back in 2020. Actually, the most consumed is China. Really? But I guess it makes sense. They just have the biggest population. Yeah. So it's it's maybe not per capita. I'd be interested to see if you did it by, you know, if you divided it by per person, who would have the most? Because I think right. a lot of people would just assume like, oh, it'd be Germany or it'd be like Ireland or something like that. Uh, America, I would certainly imagine would be up there. That is a, a lot of beer. Yeah. I'll be, uh, I'll be doing my part tonight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, we talked about cigarettes and alcohol in this segment. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed. <laughs> Next, we are going to talk about other inappropriate things. No, not that those are inappropriate. <laughs> Here's Lane Gillespie. That is Fast Lane. Two hours down, one to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Brandon McAnderson, former Jayhawk Orange Bowl winning running back member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, joins us next. Joined on a Friday now by Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back here on RCST and member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. Uh, BMAC, though, before we get into some uh, football, you're playing in the celebrity softball game tomorrow. So how many uh, how many dingers you got in you? Uh, you know, this will be my second career game. Uh, <laughs> what I'm hoping is just to have some fun and uh, raise some money, and hopefully I hit one. I'm going to be, you know, Making fun of people, telling jokes, having a good time. So I'm excited about it. Is there is there a uh, a player that I don't know if you've seen the full roster, know everyone who's playing, but is there someone that you think uh, I don't know might be the best softball player out there? I think it's going to be Daryl. Um, if you've ever seen, I mean, watching him swing a golf club is pretty impressive. <laughs> and I know he was a good high school baseball player, <clears throat> and there was some video of him at the batting cages yesterday so i'm glad he's on my team he'd be my guest <laughs> i love it uh, we're talking about brandon mcanderson here ku camp began this week do you have a a favorite or, or maybe the better way of putting it is is a least favorite uh story from your time going through camp at ku um i don't know favorite why well, i just like being there you know i like the process I, you know camp was hard uh, but it was also a chance to kind of cash your check. You know, you work all year, you know, for 12 games, and camp is kind of the beginning of an opportunity to do something special. The only really bad camp memory I have is um, 
the first camp we stayed at Oliver Hall, which I don't think exists anymore now. Uh, I thought I read somewhere it got knocked down. Maybe it didn't. But we stayed at Oliver, and uh, 6 a.m. we had Seth Luttrell, who's the head coach in North Texas now. He was our GA. And at 5.30 a.m., he would kick your door as hard as he possibly could. And it was the worst alarm clock <laughs> of all time. Um, and we only did, we only had one camp in Oliver and I was very happy when we moved to Naismith. So, uh, it, it wasn't great. <laughs> That's my one very bad memory about camp. Uh, what, what was, you, you said it was, it was obviously very hard, but rewarding. So what made it so difficult? Well, first off the heat, I mean, the heat is just a, is a huge factor, especially in Kansas in August. I mean, everyone here can, can relate to that, but, uh, relate to putting 40 pounds of equipment on top of that. So that part was always a little difficult. Um, and then there's just no, every, it's football all the time. So I don't know how they do it now, but man, we had to turn in our car keys. Um, we couldn't do anything and we couldn't do anything because every moment of the day was scheduled. I mean, from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. And then by 8 p.m., you were so tired, all you wanted to do was sleep. And 8 p.m. is generous. I mean, sometimes we wouldn't get back to the dormitory till 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and all you wanted to do was check in with your loved ones on your phone and then sleep. So it was extremely busy. I mean, it was football all the time from film to walkthroughs to weightlifting to practice. So you imagine you're there for 14 hours a day and practice is only two hours. <laughs> the other stuff is a lot is the bigger deal is just how much time you spend there and, and and how fully committed to football you are. And the good part about it is there were some people that had trouble compartmentalizing their lives away from football. And at camp, you don't have to do that. <laughs> so some of those guys would have better performance at the camp as a result. Coming into that you know, 2007 season for you, obviously John Cornish had just finished off that amazing 2006 season. Um, at what point did you kind of feel like, I mean, obviously you and Jake Sharp both got a lot of playing time and, and had specific roles and everything, but at, at what point did you kind of, you know, get the nod as being the number one running back headed into the season? Did that happen along the way in camp? No, it happened uh, towards the end of spring. Uh, it was one specific incident. So with John, you know, I ran the ball some uh, with John as kind of a third down back type. You know, Jake was still your change of pace type, and I was still doing some third down, you know, blitz pickup stuff. And I would run the ball occasionally, and I had success, um, you know, when I had an opportunity. Well, in camp, there were some young backs behind Jake. You know, Jake, we knew what Jake was, you know, a big play threat, a guy with a lot of speed. So they had his package kind of set out. But there was a toss sweep on the goal line, and everybody kept running it the wrong way. And I came in and ran the right, right way. And they were pretty much like, all right, well, <laughs> you can be our running back. And that was pretty much it. And then coming into fall, I was pretty much solidified as is the primary guy with Jake. So um, it kind of happened in the winter, uh, or excuse me, in the spring, uh, right towards the end of spring game. Um, you played with a lot of really good running backs in your time at K. I, I'm trying to remember if, if you would have been there when, when John Randall was there, obviously John Cornish, Jake Sharp, yourself, obviously. If you had to build the, the perfect running back out of the running backs you played with in your time at KU, uh, put that together. Okay, so I'll start with John Randall was my roommate at that Oliver Hall. Okay. So <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> we together, played two years together. Uh, so if I was building a running back from everyone I played with, size, speed combination, I would go with Angus Quigley. I mean, he was Adrian Peterson-like. Um, he did some things in practice that if people would have saw 
put it on the floor. I mean, he was as talented as anybody I've ever been around. But I would take his physical ability. Uh, toughness, I'd go with Clark Green. Clark Green was so tough, so committed, would literally do whatever you ask. Um, in terms of vision, I would go with John Randall. John Randall was a big play waiting to happen. He almost had one in every single game he played in. He was just a playmaker. And then with the speed and acceleration, I'd go with John Cornish. I, I want to get you in there with, with something. I don't know what it I, – I mean, power or smarts or, you know, like you said, blitz pickup. I, I think – I don't know. I, I think you deserve to be in there somewhere. I, I don't know if you want to say it if you're being humble. But. Well, yeah, I have I have better hands than every one of them. I there we go. Better blitz pickup. I also have more comic relief. So I, I, was, love I was funnier. <laughs> love so. it. Um, so I, I'm curious, like, as you go through camp, and, and this is kind of something that, you know, we run into when – I don't know, at least from my standpoint, when you're watching like the spring game and everything, if something good happens for one side of the ball, it, it's just a natural conversation of like, well, is is that just really good or is the other side just, you know, having issues there? Like, it, it's kind of that weird approach when you're just playing yourself. So, like, at what point along the way could you tell, like, you know, headed into 2007, how good that team was going to be or are all training camps kind of similar? Like it's almost hard to kind of tell how good that team is going to be just because you're competing with yourself. They're all kind of the same. I think from a collective standpoint, I don't know if you learn that much about the big picture. I think you learn about individual players, you know, especially like uh, young people that are stepping in that are either stepping into new roles or being asked to do more than they had in the past. So I think those things stand out. So guys like Desmond Briscoe in camp, he stood out because he was a true freshman. You're like, hmm, kid's pretty good. You know, Chris Harris, he stood out. You know, kid's pretty good. You know, you got guys like, I know, def- defensive end going into that 2007 season. Jack, uh, Jake Laptad was a true freshman. He was pretty good. You know, so some of those things you see, like, you're looking for who's stepping in and who can play. I know Chet Hartley uh, was a right guard from Butler. He was a guy that stepped in and was ready to play immediately. Um, Adrian Mays was a guy that we liked, but we weren't sure if he would be that guy. And he proved he was that guy going into that camp. So I would think it's more, I think you find out more about where individual players are going to fit during fall camp than you do about the collective fit. Well, I guess that that brings up a follow-up for me. Lorenzo McCaskill, who, you know, big-time transfer in, all-sunbelt player at Louisiana, who's a top-25 program the last couple of years, he comes in but wasn't there for spring ball or whatever they had going on in the summer, whether it's conditioning, just workouts with each other. Um, obviously not from kind of an, an organized perspective there, but missed the first couple of days of camp, which, you know, I, I guess it's just two days of camp, but you add on all that other stuff collectively – Clearly a very talented guy. He's in his sixth year, so he's an experienced guy, but much different scheme. He was playing kind of in a 3-3-5 at Louisiana. Like, is that something where if you have guys like that, because he's not the only one, obviously. They have other newcomers and transfers who come in, and this is the first time they're playing with their teammates here, where it a lot of times is going to be tougher for them to be maybe week one starters, where maybe that's something where more so, you know, they would pop into the starting lineup maybe in week three or week four when they have more time, or when you just have guys that, you know, come in and are experienced, is it just kind of easier to, to kind of, I don't know, acclimate yourself uh, along with the process? So just from an outsider perspective, looking at that linebacker room, I'd, I think it won't be an issue. And one reason is because I think linebacker is a lot like running back to where there are certain schemes, there are defensive assignments that you have to, that you're responsible for, but they're not, they don't vastly change from system to system. 
I think what he'll be asked to do is, you know, especially as a six-year player, they went and got him because they want him to play. So he's going to get opportunities to prove that he can play. So I don't, I'm not worried about that part. The other part is I think they built the position as a depth position because they plan to play all of those guys. I think they're going to be six deep at that position on purpose. So I think he's going to get rotational snaps regardless. Now, just like running back, if you're in a situation where a guy's shown to have the hot hand, he's shown to be pretty a guy that's pretty productive, then you're going to keep playing him. It's like Rich Miller last year. I don't think Rich Miller started the first game, you know, but by um, you know, even in that first game, he was impactful. And as the season progressed, he got more impactful, more impactful. Next thing you know, he's a leader of the defense. Next thing you know, he's a vocal leader. Next thing you know, he's out here recruiting people from other universities. So, you know, it's just, it unfolds quickly. And I think at linebacker, it's a position where you get guys in because they can play. So you want to put them in position to do what you went and got them for. So I think he'll get plenty of opportunities to play. And I think he'll prove that uh, what he did at, in the Sun Belt will transfer over to the Big 12. Jalen Daniels was, for all intended purposes, pretty much named the week one starter. I know there was a little creak of the door left open by Lance Leipold, but we haven't really seen that in the past for KU. Obviously, last year you don't really expect it to because uh, those coaches hadn't been around the players long enough that you need the full time to evaluate in such a limited sample. But uh, again, that hasn't been something we've seen in recent years for KU. Like, is that just something we kind of overblow as as media and fans, or uh, is that something that it does kind of give a boost to the team if you do have a guy who is named the starter kind of this early on? Yeah, I think that's kind of unique to us just because it's over the last 10 years, there's been a lot of flux with the position and there's been, you know, you've seen people with talent, but you know, they're not definitive answers. So you're kind of like, what do we do here? So I don't think it's just a fan, you know, overblowing it as much as that's just kind of been our experience. And hopefully this Jalen Daniels, situation will be more of our new experience you know where we have a guy coming into the season that not only has the talent profile has production to match has the leadership qualities to match has a has a the the belief of the the other team members to match so i think Jalen fits the bill in, in all ways and i think that's kind of you know i don't begrudge fans for kind of feeling like oh this is different you know because it is and hopefully it works out i mean he's someone that uh, i'm excited to watch play football that's for sure if Jason Bean is the backup, you know, he's he's still one of the fastest, if not the fastest player on the team to where uh, it's just hard to say, hey, you're the fastest player on the team. Like, why would you not be on the field at some point? And uh, I'm curious because you obviously saw the start of Kerry Meyer kind of moving from quarterback to receiver. He really broke out right after you left, but uh, that process started to happen there. I guess how difficult of a process was that truly, and do you think that Jason Bean could potentially do something like that if he does end up being the backup quarterback like it seems? Yeah, so Kerry, he he had a big year in the Orange Bowl year too. I think he had a, you know over five or 600 yards, so he'd already started to, to take on that role. I think the difference between the two is that Kerry's, uh, Kerry's size allowed him to do more things. You know, he was closer to 220, 230 you know, in a 6'2 frame. So he just had more versatility. I know Jason's a little bit more slim. But not only is Jason being the fastest person on our team, he's one of the fastest people I've ever seen on a football field. His acceleration is jaw-dropping. Um, so I think they'll find a way to use him just because he's such a unique weapon. And maybe that's in the run game. You know, maybe that's in the gadget game. Uh, but it's also, you know, meaningful to have a quality backup quarterback, as we saw last year where we lost our starting two quarterbacks in a matter of three plays. So, you know, it's important to have depth at that position and not only, 
you know, where are you at in terms of jeopardizing that? You know, is it smart to put him in a bunch of situations where he could be injured, uh, given, you know, he's a little bit slighter in frame? So I think he'll be primarily a backup quarterback, and I think he'll have some gadget stuff that he can do in the run game, some gadget stuff he can do maybe in some trick play game, and I think he'll play a role just because he's just so devastatingly fast. I had a question as part of my mailbag I did earlier this week from Scott Chasen asking if you could add three players from the Orange Bowl team to this team, who would you add? I went with Todd Reesing because as much as I, I am a believer what Jalen Daniels could be, at the same point in time with Todd, you, you are guaranteed what you have. And I, I mean, you look across the Big 12 this year, like I think Todd Reesing, if he was in the Big 12 this year, you're probably saying he's the number one quarterback. And it's hard to say, hey, if you have the best quarterback in the conference – like, of course, you're going to be very competitive and, and win a lot of games uh, in that situation. Uh, but I, I also went with Aqib Tlaib. I figured he'd help you at, at both ends, you know, a little bit of receiver, mostly corner. I wanted to add a bunch to the, you know, both lines uh, because, you know, it'd be great to add Anthony Collins, especially to a team that wants to do that wide zone. But I went with James McClinton uh, for many of the stories that, that you've kind of added and, and what he would do defensively. Would you change anything up? I, I threw honorable mentions out, obviously, to Collins, you know, Marcus Henry, you could add another receiver, Joe Mortensen at linebacker. There, there's a lot of good options there. Uh, what would you go with? So James McClinton is a that's just automatic. Yeah. So that that's automatic <laughs> for me just because he's a just completely dominant player. Um, and then a key just because it just makes everything easier. <laughs> you know, you could just put him out there and say, "Hey, could you take care of this side of the field?" And the answer is going to be yes. I'm going to surprise on the third pick. I'm not going to pick Todd, um, not for any particular reason other than I honestly cannot wait to watch Jalen Daniels play football. If, if you've ever seen this man throw an out route. I mean, he is, he throws the football like a professional football player. He can snap that ball pretty much anywhere. I cannot wait to watch him. So I wouldn't dare take him off the field. So I would give him some help outside. I'd go with Marcus Henry. Um, I would go with Briscoe, but if it's Orange Bowl year, yeah. uh, I would, Henry's a better player, bigger, stronger player. So I would go with Marcus Henry just because you have a six four guy that can take a slant to the house that can get you a first down on the screen, that can be uh, a quality possession receiver, you know, in the three-step game, and then can still just outrun people for bombs down the field. So I think he is, his versatility and size um, would be uh, a bonus. He is Brandon McAnderson. Real quick, before we let you go, though, we are uh, doing our RCST football trivia event. We're, we're through week two here. Uh, we've been having a lot of questions. You've been the, the answer to a few of them. I'm curious. Uh, I'm going to give you a little trivia here. Do you know who you had your career high 183 rushing yards against? Yeah, Texas a Okay. So do you know all these? Like if I ask, you know, who's your career high for rushing touchdowns with four? Nebraska. Okay. Uh, receptions with five. That one's going to be a little tougher. Missouri. No, you had four against Missouri. You had five. Oh. In a 2007 night game on the road. Oh, uh, I have five in a 2007 night game on the road. Would that have been Oklahoma State? That is right, Oklahoma State. Oh, okay. And then uh, obviously you had you know one pass in your career, but everyone will remember that one. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I told my son this yesterday. I had a perfect passer rating. So I got I got one more. You had you had uh, three tackles in your career. One time, I'm I'm assuming that came on on special teams. I don't know if there was like an interception that you were on the field for and made a tackle. Uh, do you know when when you had your career high of three tackles? God, I got a lot of tackles on special teams, so I don't, I would have to say it must have been a game where there was also an interception. I would say Baylor in 2006. No, it was a uh, 2005 game. It was 
the bowl game against Houston. You had three tackles. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, there's that some, was also uh, my first career high for ca- I think I had like eight carries in that game. Dude. Yeah, you had uh, seven carries, 41 yards, six yards a carry. Solid hey, uh, performance end of the year. Just the beginning. <laughs> yep. Well, BMAC, I appreciate the time as always, man. And uh, it's exciting. Four weeks away from the start of the season. Can't wait. That was Brandon McAnderson. Always good catching up with BMAC. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it.